Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Riley Smith. Well, we got plenty of rain this week, which is always good for the crops. And if you're like me, it's good for the soul, too. Welcome to this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Riley Smith. Russ Parker and Dustin Huffman will join us later on in the show. As for right now, let's start with a real quick look at the news headlines. The USDA is accepting applications for a new pilot program to support the development of bio-based products. Specifically, they're looking for products that have lower carbon footprints and increase the use of renewable agricultural materials, creating new revenue streams for farmers. The $10 million investment is part of the larger bipartisan infrastructure law. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack announced the program while visiting Iowa. That's all the time we have for news headlines this week. Check out the rest of our daily news stories on iowaagnet.com. Right now, we'll go ahead and kick it over to Russ Parker with his faith-based food for thought here on Weekend Ag Matters. Went fishing this past weekend with a boat full of grandkids. We live close to a small county park with a beautiful lake called Lake Miami. Perhaps some of you might be familiar with it. Grandma who was a fishing fool, and the kids' parents went too. And we had a blast. While the afternoon was windy, we found a spot where the bluegills were biting. And it was fun to watch the two older kids jockeying for position to cast their bobber in just the right spot, and then watch their reaction when the bobber disappeared. Over two dozen bluegills were caught in a couple of hours, hand-sized, I might add, and an hour after we got back, those fish fillets were in the fryer. I've got lots of fishing memories. I've talked about some of them before, but one that's specific in my mind was fishing in the Chesapeake Bay with my grandfather, and he caught so many bluefish that his arms got so tired that he couldn't reel in anymore. And I recall my dad catching his first walleye in Canada, and we were fishing with my oldest son, so he witnessed that catch too. Interesting how something as small as a common fish, a fish among millions, can create such a long-lasting memory. And as I think about this a little bit more, maybe it's really not all about the fish. I remember my grandfather sitting on the chair in that boat, his arms aching, and still having a huge smile on his face watching his oldest grandchild show off another fish. And I remember the smile on my dad's face, smiling for the camera as his grandson snapped a picture of him releasing his first walleye. And I think I figured out that a fish's job is to bring people together, offer opportunities to build relationships, and create memories never to be forgotten. In fact, I know of another fish story where two fish and some loaves of bread were part of a gathering of 5,000 and offered incredible opportunity to create a specific one-on-one relationship which will never be forgotten. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. That's it for segment one on this week's episode. Coming up after this short break, Dustin talks with NPPC Chief Veterinarian Liz Wagstrom. This is Weekend Ag Matters.
What's your idea of fun? Roller coasters? Concerts? Tractor pulls? Whatever it is, find your fun at the Iowa State Fair. 11 days of smiles, thrills, music, and yums. Visit the State Fair website, ticket office, or participating grocery stores now through August 10th for discounted admission tickets. Nothing compares to the fun you'll find at the Iowa State Fair, August 11th through 21st. Start finding your fun today at iowastatefair.org. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Dustin Huffman. Well, obviously, foreign animal disease is a hot point for the livestock industry, especially when we talk about the pork industry and we think about African swine fever, PERS, and all the rest. I had a chance to catch up with Dr. Liz Wagstrom of the National Pork Producers Council last month at Pork Expo, and she gave us an update on where things are with prevention of foreign animal disease and new elements and new things for producers to be thinking about when keeping their hog herd health in mind. Obviously, you handle a lot of the swine health and, and all those topics, and you know the big one everybody's talking about is African swine fever. We've been talking about it for years. Where are things sitting right now as we're in 2022? In 2022, we still have African swine fever moving across the globe. In Germany, it's gotten very f close to the French border, so we may have another country going positive. Italy went positive again. And then, of course, the big one we're really watching is the Dominican Republic and Haiti, trying to make sure that um, we can do everything we can to keep it out of the United States since it's so close. So, I mean, what does it take, especially now when it's knocking at our back door, I mean, how, how do we step up that effort to make sure it's not coming in? There's a couple levels that we do that at. So in NPPC, we've really been advocating for more funding for Customs and Border Protection, more Beagle teams, because they're the probably the best uh, defense against people bringing in meat illegally. Um, just really working hard th to make sure they're aware and send that awareness to their front lines. And then on the farm level, we're telling producers to do everything they can to step up biosecurity and then also um, sign up for the Secure Pork Supply Plan. There's a biosecurity checklist on that. Get an AgView account, which is how you could um, move data to the state um, officials if needed. And then um, consider looking at the U.S. Swine Health Improvement Plan. Um, that's a monitored site status so that if we do have an outbreak, monitored sites may be allowed to move. So going back, let's start with the Beagle teams. Obviously, you know, they're, they're the first line of defense. But just because you have funding from people also don't realize that you're not going to get teams the next day. I mean, it takes time to build them up, and this is a danger we have now. Right. And we have seen an increase in Beagle teams. We've almost to full capacity with the Beagle teams. Um, one of the things NPPC is working on right now is um, there is a bill that Senator Warnock um, and Senator Ernst has um, uh, released that would allow or give the Beagles um, a line item in the budget. So they would be actually appropriated for the Beagle training teams. Another Beagle or detector dog um, thing that's going on is that USDA, as they are working with the Dominican Republic, has contracted to put Beagle teams in the airports in the Dominican Republic to um, 
inspect every flight leaving the Dominican Republic and coming to the United States. So when, they, when you're talking about being in an airport like that, I mean, what are these legal teams looking for? So they're trained on about five cents for sure. It's mango, citrus, dairy, pork, and beef. And then depending on the airport they're in, where they, the types of things that come in regularly that are illegal, they may be trained on more cents. But they're, if you've ever watched them work, they're fabulous. They will sniff suitcases, sniff bags, and if somebody's got something they smell, they'll just sit next to that bag until the inspector comes and looks through it. Okay. So now when we look at then tools that are available, you talked about these reports, these checklists that are available. Obviously, there's no shortage of information available for producers to, to be ready in case something were to happen. There is a lot of information out there. One of the things we're trying to do as part of our um, national strategy is to put together a one-stop shop portal that would get you to all those different sites, that would give you all that information in one place. Um, a lot of it will have to be state-specific because the different states have some different rules that we're also working hard to try to harmonize those. But that's um, hopefully by the end of the year we will have um, at least the beginning of that portal. So if you can maybe take us through, let's just say, I mean, obviously you said every state's different, but let's just say we get a case that would show up somewhere in the U.S., don't matter where, what happens in that situation? The first thing that happens is that we will have a 72-hour stop movement nationwide. Um, no, Well, on the mainland. Mm -hmm. No pigs will be moving um, on the mainland for 72 hours. Those that are on the road would be able to continue on to where they were going, but no new movements. Um, during that time, the state and federal officials will be um, doing their epidemiology trace outs and trace facts. So they're going to go to that farm that was found positive, look and see where the pigs come from that got to that farm, where pigs go to, are there what they call network controls, other farms that are in that same production system that may have similar risk, and try to test those. They'll draw a control area around that farm, and then they'll start uh, trying to visit all the pig farms within that control area, test them, make sure they're still negative, keep surveillance on those. Um, and the goal is to keep tightening up that control area and make it smaller and smaller. So now when we look at the U.S., obviously it's a larger country when you compare it to like Europe where we're moving country by country. Right. So is there a situation where, let's just say, for example, southeastern United States would get hit because it's closer to the Dominican. Would it be a situation where if everything goes right, we could isolate it in just one area and prevent it from coming to, say, Iowa or even out west? That's surely the goal. And um, working on that, looking at those movement, um, biosecurity movement records, etc., um, it also would help us regionalize the United States so that with our trading partners, because we expect all trade would end, that um, if we can keep it in the southeast United States, demonstrate that we are doing surveillance in the rest of the country and it's staying negative, we have the option then to try to convince our trading partners to accept product from those free areas. So now when we look at um, with African swine fever, obviously there's been talk now lately, I've been hearing a few buzzes that there might be a vaccine, vaccine coming. What's going on on that front? Yep, USDA Agricultural Research Service, or ARS, has been working on several vaccine candidates. And they show really great promise. They've got one that they're um, commercializing in conjunction with a company in Vietnam. 
Um, it still has a lot of steps to go through before it would be approved in the United States, before it can be grown in big enough batches to, to really make a, a big difference, but very promising, very hopeful. Um, if we get that vaccine, you know, then we have to look at do you vaccinate ahead of an outbreak, how do trading partners think of that, or do we do like we are with our foot and mouth disease vaccine and try to build a bank so we'd have it if we need it. And, you know, bringing a foot and mouth disease, you know, the, the, the thing is we've been focused so much on African swine fever, but there are still other things like foot and mouth disease to think about. And, you know, the, the other laundry list of, of issues that pigs can be facing out there, I mean, where are things at on health fronts, you know, around the globe, around the country? I mean? Yep, we clearly have health challenges. You know, we've got PERS that has kind of raised its head again. Um, we've heard about um, APP, actinobacillus pleuronemonia, um, hitting some herds hard. Um, it's a continual health challenge, and our producers do a great job of identifying those, um, getting their vets involved, making sure that, that they're looking at that. That's one of our messages to try to pull that all back to being prepared for African swine fever. Some of these cases that you're seeing that may be PERS, maybe salmonella, maybe APP, could look like African swine fever. So we're encouraging producers to ask their veterinarian to call the state veterinarian and see if they need to do a foreign animal disease investigation. So this pneumonia that you're talking about, what, what's that? You know, it's something we don't hear about a lot. Yeah. Back in the days when I was first um, in vet school, APP used to be a big deal and a lot of that was um, we had poor ventilation, we had poor growing conditions, we were commingling pigs. Um, and it can get pretty nasty. It's a, a really tough pneumonia. It is a bacteria, so it can be treated with antibiotics. Um, and it has, there's been bubbles of it or, or areas in uh, north central Iowa that have been hit, but doesn't seem to be moving nationwide. Now, is that something that can cause a lot of concern with when you're talking about the supply chain and stuff like that, or is it something we just kind of got to wait out? I think that we can handle it. I mean, we used to have a lot of it back in the 80s and 90s, and now it's... Um, now it's just popped up in a few areas. And what about PERS? Where are we seeing that pop up again? PERS is pretty nasty nationwide, um, and it, it cycles seasonally, um, and um, it continues to, um, we continue to see new variants or, or new um, uh, types of, of PERS. Some of them are pretty nasty. And what is, for those who might be watching and not sure what PERS does, tell us about what PERS affects them. So PERS is porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome. And so it can cause abortions, uh, stillbirths, uh, fertility problems, and then in finishing pigs and nursery pigs, you see that those pneumonias, the thumping, um, and in some cases are really severe. You might see blue ears, blue undersides. Um, and so it can range from being pretty mild where you have purse positive animals that never show any signs to being pretty deadly. Now, you also mentioned like with the pneumonia, it can be treated with antibiotics. And of course, that's something that consumers are always wondering about. You know, is there antibiotics in the food? Can you kind of talk to what happens with an animal that's been treated before it goes into the food chain? Yeah. FDA, when they approve a product, an antibiotic for use in animals, also looks at the safety profile. So they will figure out how much, um, it's called an ADI, um, which is daily intake um, of, of food or meat product, um, look at what is the safe level that a human could consume, then multiply it for a safety factor, 
and then do studies to say how many days after an animal has been treated are they below that safe level. And um, that's called our withdrawal time. And producers are very good at following withdrawal times. If you look at the testing that's done in the packing plants, mm -hmm. we have almost no pork violations for that residue and withdrawal times. All right. So again, a lot of great information, a lot of things we've covered here today. If uh, folks out there, producers, want more information about what's being done, what they need to know about health uh, for their swine herds, where do they find that? Well, first of all, have a veterinarian. Yep. Secondly, we're available at nppc.org to look at the um, policy issues around foreign animal diseases. Some of the research issues, you can go to either Spine Health Information Center or the National Pork Board, which is Pork Checkoff. All right. Well, Dr. Wagstrom, we thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for coming to Expo. That again was Dr. Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council, here on Weekend Ag Matters. Riley Smith will be back in after this break to wrap up the show. Hi, my name is Ethan Smith, and I've been a certified crop advisor in Iowa for about six years. The Iowa CCA program is valuable to me because it helps keep me informed on new topics and research around the industry, including soils, insects, diseases, and much more. It's also a great way to network with others around the state and beyond. Iowa is known for its crops, and that's why we're here. To learn more about becoming a certified crop advisor, visit iowacca.org. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. Well, it's time for our monthly uh, check-in with Iowa 4th District Congressman Randy Feenstra. Uh, let's just start off, Congressman Feenstra. Last time we talked a lot about your uh, cattle price discovery bill. Um, do you have any updates on the progress there and, and what we should uh, expect soon? I tell you what, it's good to be on with you, Riley. Yeah, the, so the great thing about the cattle price discovery uh, bill, it got through the Senate Ag Committee uh, several weeks ago. So now it's uh, waiting for the floor. I talked with several senators are hoping to get it uh, on the floor here uh, before the August recess. To me, it's such a priority to get that thing uh, moving before the recess or starts in August. Uh, in the House, uh, you know, I'm just so frustrated. Uh, we've been pushing uh, Chairman Scott. He is the, the head uh, of the Ag Committee in the House, trying to get this thing up in the next two weeks for a vote. Um, we're working, working hard to make that happen. Uh, it just seems like uh, several congressional people are picking the Packers over the producers, and that's what we're trying to resolve. And, uh, between Congresswoman Axney and myself, uh, we are trying to get as many people in support of this bill to, to get it to to the, the floor of the Ag Committee and, and get it going also. So it's critical. This is a very critical time right now because we have the next two and a half weeks uh, to get it done before the Ag recess. Right. And, you know, another big fear that's going around right now is there's a bit of talks of recession. We know something like this that could offer support to producers in times like these. You know, we, we need all the help that we can get. Exactly right. I mean, this is such a big deal right now, especially with the input costs that are happening and, and the talk of recession. I mean, there's a lot of fear with producers. I was just with some over the 4th of July weekend. And, you know, when you talk, start talking about the input costs, especially to the, the, the cattle farmer, you know, and when, when they're buying the grain, when they're buying the feed, 
um, th- there's a lot, it, there's a lot of long range costs out there. And, and where's that market going to be? Uh, this, this would give some certainty to it. Um, and it would give some, uh, you know, parity back to the producer, which we don't have right now. And the Packers complete control. And obviously this whole bill, why is it slowed down? Obviously, you know, there's a lot of discussion, you know, the Packer obviously doesn't want, want this bill to happen. So, uh, we as producers, uh, we have to make sure that we're, uh, sounding the bell loud and clear that it's got to get done. Right. And we've talked many times before about this, about, you know, this isn't a a partisan issue. This is, you know, when you help the farmer, you're helping America. And, and, you know, that's what this bill is aiming for, right? That that is exactly right. I mean, this is very bipartisan. It, It really is. But what we need is Congress to pick the producer over the packer. And right now we have too many congressional people that are getting tied in to the Packer because the Packer, uh, you know, has a, has a strong lobby. And that's why uh, we have to do everything we can uh, to be calling our, our local congressional people and telling them they got to get on this bill and we got to get it passed. This is our one shot and we got two and a half weeks to get it done. Right. And, you know, let's talk as well about, you know, any progress we've seen on, on biofuels and getting that more roundabout. Because you know gas prices aren't getting any easier, and you know I I personally have been looking around for what can I do for biofuels just to you know make it a little easier on my wallet. Yeah, right. Thanks for saying that. By the way, we need more people to do that. Saying, hey, I'm I'm going to buy you know I'm going to buy E15 or I'm going to buy bio biodiesel. Uh, the great thing that happened is we passed the the biofuels bill uh, in the House uh, a couple of weeks ago. Would give E15 year round. Which, which is really big, and then also uh, would help uh, the biofuel infrastructure at the pump. Um, so, so it would be a market expansion. I mean, these are two big things that uh, got off the, the, the House floor. Now it's over in the Senate. Uh, I've been talking to a lot of the senators over, uh, over there. Again, the great thing is we have so many Midwest senators that, that are very supportive of biofuels. So now it's them trying to carry the water and get this thing passed. So this would be really big. I mean, you think about where gas prices are right now. We just talked about inputs. Uh, This would give some certainty uh, to the biofuels uh, area and also to just just fuels in general to lower that price. And right now, that's a problem. We just don't have any – we have no certainty. The administration is is still chirping about electric vehicles, and and they just came uh, out with something last week that – said they really don't want to have any more auctions uh, for drilling. Um, so, you know what, this is the one thing I think bipartisanly that we can get done, and, and I hope we can also get this done before the before the summer recess, before the August recess. Right, and, you know, we, we had that story recently, I think it was just last month, you know, hearing about Biden wasn't too excited to come here when he came to Menlo to uh, sign the Biofuels Access Bill. And, you know, there was just a lot of stuff that you, you wish there was more support there. So, I mean... You know, obviously, there's a lot of work going into there getting the administration to want to support this anyways. You know, are, are we seeing any progress there of maybe getting a little more education out there and, and a better understanding of what biofuels can really do? Yeah, and that's the, that, that's the key, uh, is education, understanding how clean a form of energy it is. I mean, you know, I've been, I've been trying to talk to the Petroleum uh, Institute and saying, here's the deal. We're in this together. Uh, your fossil fuels, it's not going to happen unless you have biofuels with it. So uh, it, it's collaborative in, in, in that effort. And then the administration, you know, they just don't want to talk about uh, anything to do with fossil fuels or biofuels. And, and you know, they, all they want to focus on is electric vehicles. Well, electric vehicles, that's not going to happen for a long, long time. 
We're in an energy crunch right now. We've got to get things done. And that's where this biofuels bill that passed the House could really give some sustainability of where we're headed. And I think it, it could really lower some of the costs uh, of gas and, uh, in a very short time. So um, it's all about education and, and, and making sure that, that the, the senators and Congress understand how important it is to get this done right away. Right. Well, Congressman Feenstra, is there anything else going on in your neck of the woods that uh, producers should know about today? Well, I, I tell you what, you know, the, the, the big concern right now is that, that we did have uh, some, we got the farm bill coming up that we're working on right now. And the Title IX in the farm bill is, is about energy, the energy title. So we're working through that. I really want to have some, some good stuff in the bio, in that, in that area of the title. Um, and then obviously, you know, we want to try to rein in the EPA, waters of the U.S. I think we could even do that in the farm bill. So that, that is being talked about. And then finally, you know, they noted some tar spot out in Marshall County. Uh, that's something we always want to be concerned about. But for us in Northwest Iowa, we just need rain. We hope we get it tonight because I was in a field early this morning and, uh, you know, the, the corn is, is, is curling a little bit. So we have some concerns right now that Mother Nature needs to take care of. Right. And hopefully she will in the end. So, uh, of course, with that farm bill, uh, producers need to make their voices heard. So if they want to you know, get a hold of you and let you know what they're seeing, how can they do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just uh, you can get on the website and uh, they can get a hold of me and they can give me a call. They can call my office, uh, send me an email, um, you know, just pull up Randy Feenstra, Congressman Randy Feenstra, and it'll take you right to my website. So. So I'd love to hear from anybody. Uh, we're doing a 39-county tour. I think we're out next, uh, tomorrow the next day out in Ames and Clear Lake area uh, discussing some of these big issues. All right. Well, Congressman Feenster, it was great to catch up with you, and we'll talk with you again next month. Always good to talk to you, Riley. Thanks a lot for having me on. That again was Iowa 4th District Congressman Randy Feenstra. That's it for today's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. Thanks again for tuning in. You can listen to this episode and more by going to the podcast tab on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network website at iowaagnet.com. For Russ Parker and Dustin Huffman, I'm Riley Smith, wishing you a great rest of your weekend. Join us again next week for more Weekend Ag Matters. 